As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of TIFO Talks, the special mini-series where John McKenzie gets to do pretty much whatever he wants, whenever he wants to. John, who did you do this week? (laughs) I did this week, my very good friend, Jamie Hamilton, who Ah. is a football coach in Scotland. Right. And he is a very interesting chap. He's very uh, philosophically attuned. Mm -hmm. Um, He's also a UEFA A license holder. So he's done a lot of... uh, Is that the top one? uh, That's the highest level apart from the pro license, but that's invitation only. Uh, Is um, it really? uh, Yeah, I believe so. Who do you get invited by? Your, your buddies when you're when you're really good. A little bit of nepotism. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, exactly. Well, Which if anyone's listening that can help, can you please invite Jamie Hamilton? <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? Yes. Okay. What did you talk to Jamie about? Jamie and I had a really interesting conversation about whether or not European football tactics has become a little bit too European focused. Mm. Whether or not we can learn about football tactics from other parts of the world, and whether or not mm. those different tactics would be successful. And it led can us you? on a yeah, well, we, it led us on a very interesting conversation about right. the way that the development of tactics has, has taken place in, in Europe and whether or not, you know, it's, it's necessarily the case that the most efficient route that has been taken is always the best one. So, yeah, yeah. Jamie is quite interested in some South American coaches who are doing things very different from a lot of the positional play coaches that we get at the very top level of the European game now. So I'm now excited to listen to this episode. Yeah, it's, it's a good episode, I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, well, without further ado, here's uh, John McKenzie and Jamie Hamilton. Welcome to TIFO Talks, a podcast on the TIFO Football Podcast Network. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined today by Jamie Hamilton. Jamie, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, John. Thanks for the invitation. Looking forward Mm. to it. So Jamie is a Glasgow-based UEFA A licensed coach, currently working in academy football in Scotland. He's also an independent football writer. He has a Medium page and is also now supportable on Patreon. And if that weren't enough already, he's worked on a North Sea safety vessel. He's worked as a cocktail bartender was a guitarist for a band who played on stage at Glastonbury Festival. And finally, most importantly, perhaps, you got a mention in Joey Barton's autobiography, No Nonsense, which is a story I haven't actually heard, Jamie. Yeah, it's a strange one that I must admit, I didn't actually realise that myself <laughs> because I wasn't reading 
No Nonsense by Joey Barton, and I'm, you know, I'm sure it's an excellent book. But someone sent it to me on Twitter, actually, a, a screenshot. One of the later chapters starts with uh, Joey Barton. I think he's reminiscing or remembering about the night before an important game. He's in a hotel room, I think maybe on an away trip. And uh, yeah, he says he was reading an article by a Scottish lad called Jamie Hamilton. Mm. And he said it was very good. And he said very soon after he went to sleep. So <laughs> possibly uh, possibly my writing is uh, is uh, possesses that quality mm. as well. So yeah, a strange one. So if you're ever in an airport bookstore, be sure to look up uh, look up the index, and you can you can check. Do you know out. which article it was? Yeah, it was actually it was, it's one of the first ones that I ever wrote, and it was that it, it came out on these Football Times, mm. and it was about the I think it's still up about the aesthetics of football. My usual shtick, John, mm. you know, hasn't changed. Usual much. nonsense. <laughs> Another aspect of your usual nonsense is actually a, a coach who has just moved to the Premier League. Today we are going to talk about European football tactics, and we're going to ask the more important question of whether or not Europe is too Eurocentric in its focus. But let's talk a little bit about that manager who's just moved to the Premier League in Brighton's Roberto De Zerbi, who you have written about a few times, I believe. I couldn't turn down the opportunity of talking to you a little bit about him. A lot of the listeners won't have a huge uh, concept of what De Zerbi will bring to the Premier League. So let's just have a little bit of a talk about this. By the time this podcast comes out, we will have seen a couple of games. But as I say, I couldn't resist the opportunity to, to tease your brain on this. So what do you make of the news that Brighton have appointed De Zerbi? It's cool because it shows Brighton. I think we knew that already. Um, even with the, they were talking about bringing in, was it Knutson as well from Bodo Glimt? So they've got an idea, right, of, of, of a style of play that they're interested in. And I think De Zerbi, while he is very much his own thing, which we can talk about, he is going to try and uh, possess the ball. He's going to try and control games, move the ball through the thirds and, and, and finish with making high quality chances. And, and, you know, that's not unusual in today's football landscape. But what struck me about De Zerbi is the real clarity of the structure of his style of play. It's unmissable, right? It's so clear the way that he wants his team to position themselves. So it's a, it's a really, I would say, almost like hyper-accelerated version of positional play. And that's a term I think will be familiar to TIFO uh, listeners. You've done videos on it, and, and it's something that's referenced quite a lot. This this idea of Guardiola, I suppose, brought it into prominence with the... Um, and you have this pitch divided into five channels. I think I've seen you do that on your analysis as well on, on TIFO. Um, and, and, you know, players have rules of where to stand and where to be at certain moments, almost sort of algorithmic rules and heuristics of where to stand. And we've seen that this, this style of play become uh, prominent in terms of controlling possession. And Deserbi almost takes that <laughs> to some sort of infinity point, right? In terms of the actual detail of it, there are a couple of different or a few different structures he'll employ, but generally speaking, it's a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 uh, formation, oscillating between a single pivot and a double pivot. Um, but it's very compact. This is the thing to say about Deserbi's positional structure. It's it's hyper compact. The, the, the full, and we start we, we have seen this kind of thing come in a little bit more. The the fullbacks are, are narrow in. The almost all the outfield players are in the central zones except the wingers who will stay high and wider. So you'll see this structure. You'll see this positional structure, this network, especially if you have a decent camera angle. The camera angle at Amex is actually okay, isn't it, to see this kind of shot. And you'll see it from this bird's eye view. Um, and you'll see this very, very rigid structure uh, deployed by Deserbi. And within that structure, there's a style of play, which is interesting as well, because he heavily prioritizes short passing. So 
this is at any stage in any position on the pitch, he will always look to make short passes. He we will kick a long one if it's a long pass that is open to the striker. But Deserbi's actually said himself he sees playing long balls as gambling, uh, as, as as introducing a, an unwanted randomness to the game. And he says he doesn't like gambling. He's not a betting man, so he much prefers to control the ball with short passes. Which again is nothing particularly unique. There are there are you know coaches who want to play positional football with short passes. But Deserbi as well, the what's very interesting to me about Deserbi's style is actually the, the the rhythm of the play. It's he has almost staccato approach where at some points the game will actually almost stop and freeze. Players, centre backs, uh goalkeepers will put their foot on the ball and, and stand and wait until there is an engagement from the opposition. When they break their shape to come and press, that is the trigger for them to then initiate one of their short passing routines. And I've actually seen some training videos of Deserbi, some preseason tactical training stuff when he was at Sassuolo. And it's really clear how important this moment of the opposition press is the trigger for the the commencement of their play, of their pattern. You even saw, there was a video on Twitter just yesterday, I think, and he was talking, I don't think it was the goalkeeper he was talking to or at Brighton. And it was clear he was saying, wait for the guy to press you and then you're going to play. So that's what we're going to see from De Zerbi. It's, it's a very pronounced, very clear style of play. There, will, there are rotations and, and, and shifts, but from the, from the outset, we're going to see a really defined style of play, which is interesting, I suppose, because we're coming after Potter, who is actually known for being more uh, adaptable, right? He would change shape and he would, uh, uh, you know, tailor his approach to certain opponents and he would, uh, and it's a very smart, very cool uh, way of coaching, but De Serbi, not so much. Mm -hmm. He believes in his way and that kind of very clear identity is, I think, something uh, we're going to see from fairly early on, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I guess the big question is, is do we think this style of play is going to work in the Premier League? I mean, obviously, De Serbi has worked in... Serie A, he, he got some good performances out of his Sassuolo side, as you've mentioned. I think they finished eighth in their best season. Uh, he's been playing Champions League football with Shakhtar Donetsk as well. And I suppose there, there are parallels already in the in the Premier League with, with a coach like Antonio Conte in the sense that he is a man who is going to try and get his team to lure in the opposition, to generate space in behind that can then be attacked. Now, the obvious modus operandi of both of those approaches is very different, but the, the overall approach is, I think, kind of similar. So what are your thoughts on whether or not De Zerbi will actually have a big impact in Premier League football in terms of his style? Um, it's always difficult to say, um, to answer these questions, I suppose, but a lot of it has to do with how well it connects with the players. Communication is obviously very important in this in this sense. I don't know how good his English is. You know, there's always um, uh, concerns about this kind of thing. But given the track record so far of, of the football I've seen from his time, mainly watching the games from Sassuolo and Shakhtar, it's worked so far. So I don't really see why you know it wouldn't work in the Premier League. I think if the players buy in, then it's an effective way to play football. I think that's proven. It obviously has weaknesses. And you can lose games and there will, could well be moments when the short passing at the back leads to a, conceding a goal. And then, of course, we'll have the, the fallout from that on Sky and BT and, uh, you know, it'll be too risky. It won't work in the Premier League, all this kind of thing. But, you know, I would expect Deserby to continue the good work of Potter in the sense of managing to secure points and, and, and finishing in relatively uh, good positions in the Premier League. 
I think Deserbi is actually quite a nice segue into the topic that we've already said that we're going to focus on today because when we were prepping for this episode you did describe him to me as I think it was arguably the most European of coaches and obviously European in this sense is being used as a cipher for something bigger Um, so I think we need to start teasing that claim out because I think what we want to talk about is why there is seemingly a dominant strain of tactical orthodoxy should we say within the world of of European football and why it seems so unassailable in many respects and so I think to do that we're talking about this broader band of so-called European football so it's probably best for us to set out our our, uh, definitions at the beginning so what do you mean by European coaches and why do you think that De Zerbi is the the almost the high priest of that approach? I think an interesting place to start and maybe a useful place to start would be with um, something that Ralph Ranić said at I think it was the Coach's Voice seminar. So already the context is quite important, Coach's Voice being an organisation that are promoting coaching ideas, right, at a very high level, elite speakers. I think we've probably all seen the masterclasses that, that happen, um, are released uh, you know, on video, they come on Twitter, on YouTube, some probably more interesting than others. But Coach's Voice, reputable, high-level organisation, looking to promote footballing ideas. And Ranić was speaking on stage and he was speaking about, and you can find the clip fairly easily. I can tweet it out as well. And he's giving his opinion on what it is a coach has to do. What is the role of the coach? A very fundamental thing. And I'm going to paraphrase him here because I can't even remember exactly what he said. But he says something like, along the lines of, is the job, it doesn't matter who you are, if it's Guardiola, if it's Klopp, if it's whoever you are, the, the role of the or even a you know, lower level coach, the role of the coach is to have a very clear distinct idea of how they want the team to play and to then and he says this actually he says to almost have a video playback in their mind of how the football is happening have this very clear idea and then to go and bring this into life in whichever environment they are so it's this idea that the coach should have this abstract mental image constructed in their own minds in their heads of how they want to play the game and this is called game model would probably be a a common way that this is understood in in coaching parlance once the coach has constructed their game model their version of how football should look they will then carry that with them like a tool it's a piece of technology it becomes a technology and then they will arrive in whichever environment or locale they may find themselves and they will impose this model this structure, this set of rules uh, and guidelines and schemas onto the environment where they arrive. So for a practical example, we could look at someone like Conte, Deserbi as well. And what you, so what you find is, let's take Conte, whether it's Juventus or Inter, Chelsea, now Spurs, there's a distinct style of his play because Conte has constructed a version of football in his mind, which he then takes with him as a tool and whenever he arrives in Milan or Turin or London he imposes the structure onto the football environment and then ensures through his own methods that the players learn that system and execute those actions on the pitch if they don't that he will for sure try to coach them better how to do it and if they ultimately can't then he will replace them with with another one so this is why I'm proposing to you that is a a Eurocentric style of coaching. Why is it Eurocentric? 
If we look at it in terms of what I've said already, then there's this, this first point I think we need to look at is this idea of abstracting the game out of the reality from which it's played in. Because football is played on a pitch, it's a game played by people. And this idea that you can abstract the game out and then work it out on a mental plane, right? Using rationality, reason, calculation, measurements, these kinds of things has its roots this way of rationality and, reason, and reasoning in Greek thinking, right? In, uh, in the philosophy of Western philosophy. And this kind of idea that you can separate rationality from something deeper, right? Like the mythos or cosmos or something, or something like that. And we see that with Socrates and, and, and classical philo- Greek philosophers like this. So that's one of the reasons that I think that we can call this fixation with abstraction European. It's not that it's the only place that abstraction happens. But classically, if you look at philosophy, this is a moment in the birth of Western European civilization that is very important. This idea that you can abstract and you can use reasoning and logic to work things out on a mental plane and then put that back into the complexity of reality. So I've said a lot there. <laughs> and in some sense, that the first proposal is that this idea of abstracting the game out from the reality which it is played in and then conducting almost experiments on a mental level, working things out, is in some sense inherently European. There's other aspects to this that we can obviously get into in terms of the imposition. But, and I think that's something that is fairly universal in our idea of what tactics is, right? It's like we, we think of them up in our head and then we go and try them out, whether it's on football manager or, or, or whatever it is. I, I, mean, I use it as well on the tactics board and on when, when I'm coaching. Uh, on this kind of like flat plane, I'm going to, or, or the salt and pepper shakers on the table, right? I'm going to move, there's the space, he can go there, he can go there, he can go there. Cool, we've got a plan, let's go try it out. Usually it doesn't work when you, when you try it out <laughs> because reality is a bit more messy. But this is the idea, this abstraction and construction, refinement, and then imposition of the mental representation of reality is in some sense a European process. Before we get on to sort of teasing that out a little bit more, let's just have a think about what the alternative approach might be then just in a theoretical Mm. sense so you're proposing that actually there are non-european approaches to football tactics which approach the game in what way well so and and to think about this then what i've just described i think would be again to speak in use a philosophical term is idealistic right from inside the mind we are then moving this idea out into reality and spreading the idea that we've constructed in our own minds I suppose, so if I'm saying that is more European, then the alternative, non-European, would be something that's coming from, from out, right? A more external idea. So is there a way that we can actually appreciate the structures that are formed and patterns that are formed in reality itself, in the external environment, and let them have a larger role to play than simply imposing our idea from into out onto the environment? Is there a method, a way of thinking, a way of conceptualizing of tactics that doesn't prioritize that idealistic imposition so much, which actually allows space for creativity, patterns, structures, forms to come in from the outside and inform our uh, our playing style, our, the way we are going to approach football. And it's not to say that you must relinquish completely any kind of imposition and just uh, stand around while reality happens, but is there a way that we can allow more in from the outside rather than just this uh, individual imposition. So I, I would suggest that, that allowing that appreciation of the, uh, of the creativity, of the 
of the emergent uh, properties of external reality of the material itself is perhaps more non-European. And to just to print and to maybe just give a, an example that I think may fall into this category, it would be Fernando Denis at Fluminense, someone I've written about recently. And again, I'm not saying that this is the this is what's you know the, the approach that's purposefully being taken, but it seems when you watch Denise's play that he has a radically different approach to possession football. There is not the structure that we see in the European positional systems. There is a much more of a looser arrangement of players that are arranging themselves in different patterns and forms all over the pitch, yet while still maintaining possession of the ball and controlling and progressing and scoring goals and doing all those things we associate with, with, with possession teams. And having heard him speak in interviews, he's very interested in the way that the players are relating to each other, who the players are what kind of interactions are happening naturally. He uses words like organic. He, he wants things to be in partnership. He wants things to feel alive, right? So these kind of natural words that are cropping up. And I think it seems as though he seems he, he's more prepared to allow play to happen in front of him. And it's more important for him that the, the players are actually in a maybe a more psychological state where their interactions are going to be effective and they're going to play with a more free style rather than him imposing a certain a positional structure and these kinds of things. So Denise might then be an example of uh, allowing the creativity of the outside of the influence of his players, of the environment, to inform more his playing style. I want to take a couple of steps back at this point to just talk about European football now because we, you've mentioned, to start off with, Roberto De Zerbi is almost at the far end of the of the spectrum of idealism to I suppose we, we would call it materialism this idea that mm. you actually allow the material conditions just the things that are happening to impact your approach to football and I guess Roberto De Zerbi is an advocate of positional players you've called it and this has become a mode of playing football that has become particularly popular I think in recent years and has almost attained a status of being the way that you should play football if you are at the elite level. I'm interested in in talking to you a little bit about that because I think one of the most interesting things that's happening in football right now at the elite level is whatever it is that Julian Nagelsmann is doing, who seems to be moving away from that sort of approach towards this more, I guess we would call it, counter-pressing play, the sort of things that We've seen Ralph Rangnick do, interestingly, that you've, that you've mentioned. We can talk about positional play first. Let's just focus on that. But what the question that I am working up towards is whether or not you think this alternative approach that is being taken by members of the Red Bull fraternities, Ralph Rangnick, Julian Nagelsmann is introducing ideas of it at Bayern, which is almost detrimental to the idea of positional play. So it's, it's more about conceiving of space in an entirely different way, whether or not that fits your paradigm of non-European approaches. So let's just start off with positional play and, and your thoughts on that, whether or not that represents for you like the the final evolution of what we're calling European football, that sort of idealistic approach where you conceive of the football pitch as this rectangle with certain areas that are defined in certain ways. So you have the wide areas, you have the half spaces, you have the central areas. And whatever you do, that doesn't change. And and that's the reality for every football pitch around the world. Whenever a coach comes on, they are going to try and they, they have that reality. You're always trying to fit players onto that pitch. They have to stand in the right places. They have to do the right things versus then this, this maybe slightly different approach to space that we're seeing coming through first. So what's your thoughts on all of that? Lots of ideas in there, sorry. 
yeah, we can start then yeah, with positional play and maybe try and define that a little bit more. You know, mentioned some of the, the tenets of it already, but yeah, you're right. It, positional play, as we understand it, seem to require, yeah, these, these fixed positional references. So yeah, you divide the pitch up into certain ways. And we've seen the pictures of Guardiola's grid, right? The training pitch with the different boxes and channels in it. And you get different versions of these pitches. If you watch different training sessions, you'll have maybe there'll be four channels, maybe there'll be five channels, maybe there's just some different horizontal lines in different places. And these are obviously used by different coaches for different reasons. Um, but generally speaking, there is a fixedness to the positioning of the players in the possession structure. But I just want to emphasize when we're talking like this, when I'm talking like this, People might think, oh, yeah, but of course, Guardiola's players are always moving. It's always fluid. It's not that they don't move. Right? This is, I'm, 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 you know, actually with the Zerbi, it probably is more like that. But, but with a lot of these positional systems, I'm not say, it's not saying that the players don't move and there isn't fluidity within these. It's that there is, but there are these governing structures and positional rules that are at work, that are at the base of this, this idea. And it seems to be, in this sense, if we're talking about the abstraction and working of football out on a flat plane, positional play seems to be yeah, this logical almost end point where you're going to arrive at eventually. This is a system of structures that just dominates the flat space perfectly almost, right? Because it's you've worked out exactly where everyone needs to be, also in relation to the, the formations that you're usually up against. And you can occupy these, well, they call it rational occupation of space, right? And again, the word rational is in there. The word space is in there. And it's a, it's, a, it's a version of space that is flat, so you can rationally occupy it. Occupy not not so occupy is a static thing as well. You're already in it. You're not moving into. So it's this rational occupation of space, and it seems like some logical endpoint of this style of football thinking. Red Bull is interesting because they tend to put an emphasis not so much on the moments. In possession, where they clearly they do, and I think they do actually. Generally speaking, when you watch a Red Bull team, a positional style of play in in, in possession, it's not that they just run everywhere. They're quite structured teams usually. What we've seen from Salzburg and, and Leipzig and, and these kinds of teams, obviously depending on the coach, but generally speaking, Ranić's version of football is quite positional. It's often a four triple two, right? We saw him try to implement it at Manchester United. It involves people standing in places. But they, what they do is they seem to put a lot more emphasis on the transitional moments, right? Those moments of, of chaos, right? Of when the ball is moving between the possession and, and, and out of possession. And they want to be very fast at, at, at trying to either counter-press or counter-attack uh, to dominate those transitional moments. So trying to almost exploit the niche there that's been, that's been ignored. And I think they've been very successful in doing that. I think that can fit into a positional play paradigm, counter-pressing. We see that all the time. We see it with most positional uh, teams is that of course, the coaches love having the ball, which is why they construct these elaborate models. But they're also very, quite a lot of them are very paranoid and scared about what happens when they uh, when they lose the ball. So they obviously want this built-in defense mechanism, which is the counter, very aggressive counter press, which can obviously get the ball back and then they can start their patterns all over again. What's happening with Nagelsmann at Bayern Munich is interesting, right? Because like you say, he seems to have been more of a positional coach in his days um, I didn't watch too much of him at Hoffenheim, I must admit. Um, but certainly in Leipzig, he was yeah, developing these positional systems. But now at Bayern, especially since Lewandowski has, has moved on, he seems to have... I don't know if he's, it's exactly what he wants. This is the thing. It's difficult to say because you know he's obviously under a bit of pressure now and his team are, are moving much more fluidly in, in, in terms of positioning. And they are creating chances. They're, they're, they're not playing horribly, right? They're, they're creating some chances. Um 
But yeah, it seems it seems that there's much less strict positional references for the team when they're in possession of the ball. But I don't know whether that is on purpose from Nagelsmann necessarily, or whether maybe that something else is a problem with the players. I, I don't really know, so it's difficult to say. But it's it's definitely a more fluid approach, and when it works, it's quite spectacular. But obviously, when it misfires, people say, "Well, what the hell system is this guy playing?" <laughs> I mean, it looks like a mess. So I don't know, watch that space, I suppose. So you're referring then to both of these systems as European systems because there are positional elements there. There is a, a blueprint almost, which is what is adhered to. Yeah, and it's almost this, again, zooming even sort of further out and just saying it is this idea that there is already a version of the football in the mind that is going to, whether that's a counter-pressing style or whether it's a, a 4 2 position system or a, or a 2 3 five style position system, it's a model constructed in the mind ahead of yeah. time and then imposed onto the, the, the environment, right, onto the, 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 onto the team. And that, which I'm probably more interested in seeing as European than whether it's counter-pressing or possession or counter It could be anything, really, but it's more that predefined structure being imposed. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So I think we need to talk a little bit about Jonathan Wilson at this point. I've just interviewed Jonathan Wilson on an earlier episode of this podcast series and we talked about his book Inverting the Pyramid and as he said in his own words in that interview he talks about the book being almost a study of how ideas get transmitted across space and time which I think is already fitting into that kind of European paradigm of of what you've been talking about that that football tactics is predominantly an abstract an abstract pursuit that this is something that we do in our heads and we try and then impose those ideas onto onto the field and what's interesting I think about the inverting the pyramid um, narrative is that it gives you a sort of one-size-fits-all account of of tactics right or the history of tactics because you can start off and say well you know football tactics start off here obviously Hungary plays a really important role for Jonathan Wilson largely because of those coffee house conversations that these the, in, the intelligentsia back back in the day were were that these were the spaces where they were talking about those ideas right and what you then have is almost a, a genealogy from Wilson of how these ideas spread across the world largely to South America through individuals like Dory Kushner or Imre Herschel and these are guys who go out to South America and then they bring the concept of football tactics with them right and so the whole I think of this of this um, the narrative then just allows Wilson to develop a, a family tree of football tactics across the world um, from Europe traveling outwards and then it, it you know the, the whole of his book then becomes like the history of European football tactics 
I think you have a slightly different account of how ideas about football tactics emerge. You've already mentioned that yours ideas about like tactical genealogies involve something more like materialism. Um, and I think it might be that, that's a horrible sounding word, right? If you're listening to this as a non-specialist um, and you're not really versed in philosophy, like it sounds horrible. So maybe we should just have a little bit of a dig about the way that you think football. Maybe even calling them ideas is a bad is a bad thing mm. for you because it, it seems as though as you see it football tactics are just things that happen and they can be they can be catalyzed by anything right and yeah, Jonathan Wilson I think agrees would agree with you right the the, the offside mm. rule changes things the the back pass rule changes things right these are external I mean obviously they're close to football but um, I think you can you can develop more materialist explanations for why certain things happen on the football pitch as well as these idealist ideas as well. Yeah, so it's super interesting because even something like offside, it's still it's still a, mm. an idea, right? So that's a human idea. So the materialism, materialism I'm looking for or I'm after is something a little bit different in the sense. And I think one way to interesting way to try and think about it, a way that I like to think about it, is that we can use a bit of deep time here and think back. We're going to think back from within ourselves, right? We're going to think back. And if we accept some pretty well uh, agreed upon scientific assumptions here there was a long 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 time in the history of the universe and the cosmos when human beings were not present okay that's that's a if we, if we accept that um which i do i'm quite happy to accept that well we can say then well the human mind wasn't present human beings consciousness had not yet emerged or well, what was there there must be something right because things were happening human consciousness itself came into uh, emerged out from something right what 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 was happening and there were external forces, right? There was life. There was the outside. And whether it's these natural patterns are emerging, mountains, lakes, stars, flowers, wherever they are, there are there's energy and creativity in something that is not human some, because humans weren't there. You could say that, okay, the idea, it was already pregnant with the idea of humanness somewhere in there and that's where it came from. But sure, but humans, as we understand, human mind, human consciousness, try to understand it, they were definitely not there. So there are other things at work. So this is a very fundamental point and thing to understand because once you accept this, then, of course, you must accept the creativity of the non-human, of the outside, of the, of the material world, right? Of the mater- not, the, not the human, of the material. So the question is then, now that we are, you know, you are a human within your own subjective perception, how do you relate to that? Is that something that you want to overcome? And you see is uh, something like, uh, like chaos and annoyance. Uh, it's going to uh, uh, mess things up. So it's the human duty then to organize things, right? And, and, and uh, impose the structure. Or do you enter into a different kind of relationship with that? Um, more of a partnership, maybe. Not a submission to, but a partnership with. Maybe it's more like a harmonious relationship, a dance, perhaps. Something like this kind of metaphor could be useful with these emergent forms, these emergent patterns, and you can try and utilize them and use them in cooperation, right? In, col- in collaboration and try and, and see if the forms that emerge from there are in fact effective, useful, uh, beautiful, you know, in themselves. So when I'm talking about materialism, that's, that's what I'm getting at is this idea. It, it's, a, it's a materialism that sees creativity in the outside, right? In matter and, and life. And that, when you're dealing with football, Football teams, football players, environments—they are—they're—they're they're full of energy and creativity. Out with the coach, right? Out with the coach and their, uh, you know, precious tactical vision. 
there is a history to the club. There's a history to the the place where that 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 club is formed, and again to the to the mythologies of that culture, that civilization where they've come from, and um, the players themselves are. These are called they're forms of life, right? Is is maybe one term we can think about, and that's also used in in some domains of, of football coaching theory that are emerging now. And is there a way then to appreciate these forms of life, these different patterns, these different structural arrangements, and try and integrate them? with whatever idea because you always have an idea yourself it's not a submission too but is there a way to integrate them with your idea rather than impose your idea and and yeah jonathan wilson when he's talking about what happened in the, in the, the coffee houses of the danube right in, in vienna and, and, and budapest and, and, and prague he talks about he actually it's interesting i was listening to um one of his one of his talks and you know it's i'm a fan of jonathan wilson you know it's not it's not you know it's not a polemic against jonathan wilson i think you inverting the pyramid's a great book but when he's talking about the the differences or talking about how this danubian school of, of football thinking was was coming around as you mentioned it there he was talking about abstraction and he even mentioned that you know, in the pubs of Britain, more of the working class folks would be standing up when they were discussing football, right? Fresh out the factory or the mine, they'd have the beer in one hand and, the, and, and you know, they'd be standing up and, and gesticulating with the other hand and talking talking about football. Whereas, like you said, the intellectuals, right? The university educated uh, football minds of Eastern Europe were sitting, reclining around the table uh, in, in the coffee houses. And this gave them a flat surface, right, to, to draw diagonals. This is Wilson's um, proposal here, is that in the coffee houses, the flat surface and the sitting downness actually afforded space for this these diagrams to emerge and, you know, facilitated abstract thinking. So that for Wilson, it's this abstraction that's at the heart of what is emerging out of, of, of Eastern Europe and is then proliferated, like you said, um, through certain individuals around the world. Which is what we're saying. Which is what, what I'm saying is that this uh, this this prioritization of abstraction in Wilson's formulation is somewhat one-sided, because it doesn't seem to have much space for what was happening in the environments already. And I'm not saying it doesn't have any. It clearly references lots of cultural things, but there are things happening from the outside um, that have also got creative energy. And one might ask the question: What would Brazilian football look like if it didn't have those influences? And perhaps Fernando Diniz actually shows us maybe something that could have happened. Uh, another possibility of, of football that didn't have those European impositions placed upon them. And it's fascinating because now we approach the World Cup and we have Brazil being coached by Tite, who, as I understand, I'm no expert on Tite, from, but from what I've read, is that he is now a pretty positional coach in terms of his uh, possession structure. He didn't used to be, apparently, but now he is much more positional play-oriented. And so Brazil will be going to the World Cup with their fabulous players, guys like Neymar, Vinicius, whoever, you know. And they will be restricted in their positional setup. I'm not saying it won't work. Of course, it's not about that. But there's already uh, factions in Brazil that would prefer another way than this this European uh, positional Mm. style. So, yes, when Jonathan Wilson talks about tactics, it does seem to adopt this idealistic approach of the individual of the great man right arriving and then proliferating out disseminating their their meticulously crafted ideas onto the people who will then form the patterns and arrangements that came from the mind and play the football that was worked out on the coffee table um it seems to be like that yeah so it seems as though there's almost two different impacts on the development of tactics there is that you know great man theory 
that we're talking about because there's an extent to which football tactics are being developed by guys thinking about things. But you're yeah. arguing that there are material conditions which actually impact the way that the tactics go as well. And there needs to be some space in which we discuss that. I've just got a couple of ideas about what those might look like just to help people have a more concrete example. So the, one of them is the fact that in England, there's an arbitrary day at which you start a school year, right? So it's September. If you're born in September, you're going to be the oldest person in your year. And if you're, if you're born the month before, then you're going to be the youngest in your year. Now, that's just an arbitrary thing that someone has chosen at some point for whatever reason. But actually, if you look at the way that it impacts football development in youngsters, you're much more likely to develop at a at a quicker rate if you are an older footballer in your school year. So there's a lot of footballers who whose ages and dates of birth aggregate around mm. that that sort of September date. That's I think a really good example of a of a material condition that impacts the way that 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 something can happen in football. Maybe a better one for tactics is I was chatting to a guy from New Zealand who was telling me that he'd done a lot of coaching, I think, in Australia. And he was saying there was a lot of Australians that were coming through who are really good in wide areas. And they were trying to work out why this was the case. And then it was pointed out that actually because they had not developed the pitch technology that they had in Europe, uh, the centre of football pitches was actually getting bogged down and it was harder to play in the central spaces. So a lot of the creative players would end up sort of moving wide as a result of that. So again, there's a material condition. It's got nothing to do with someone imposing their ideas on how the game should be played, but it has a, a very concrete impact in the way that, that football teams are playing. So I think what we're doing then is we're talking about actually those material conditions a little bit more in your uh, account of evolution, right? Yeah. Yeah. Things like in Brazil, I wrote about with the, even if I think you mentioned it as well uh, earlier, there's a, even the way we appreciate and think about space. Is it this flat land or, or is it a more phenomenological space, right? Is it a more uh, a space in flow, a space that has meaning in the moment? Disciplines like capoeira, for example, are all about to players, uh, capoeiristas, right? Engaging in this kind of spatial flow with each other, reacting to each other, moving, balancing in different ways. Um, and it's very different from, you can't really play, play a game of capoeira on a board. You know, it, it's just, it doesn't really work. It's a different appreciation of space. And again, this is culturally informed. And, and I think I like works like David Winner, for example, when he, in, in his book, Brilliant Orange, right? He talks about these kind of things, like the Dutch view of space. He calls the Dutch a nation of spatial neurotics. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting. He goes into like, because of the limited space of the land, they had to work out ingenious ways of stop. And because it was below sea level, they had to build dikes and construct um, versions of space. He talks about Mondrian and you know his you know geometrical impositions on, on art. And this is more of what I'm talking about, right? This this idea that there is energy coming from from the outside, from our very intangible cultural forms, these forms of life that are happening and forming the way the players will play football. And and also the, the relationships between the players, right? The, the human connections and relationships between the players, are they sharing ideas and appreciations of, you know, in terms of worldviews, in terms of ideas about football? And if they can f perhaps foster an environment where players are interacting in this harmonious way, maybe you don't need too much tactical imposition, right? Because the players will play. And, and they will interact with each other and move around and play one-twos and do connections and, and understand that they can play their own version of a game without necessarily too much imposition from a coach. This is obviously speculative, but I think, what again, I come back to what I think is interesting about Fernando Denise is that it seems that he gives a real-world example, and I invite anyone to go and watch Fluminense uh, of this season and be, because 
and some games are, are, are available because it's difficult to understand a different way of playing when it's just listening to you know guys talk about it and me talk about it I would invite people to go to watch a game and see what you think is this something different how is this happening how are these structures forming how are these arrangements happening Denis surely has some imposition no doubt he, he shouts at his players <laughs> you see him on the touchline but there seems to be a much more freer um, appreciation of and like you like you said for whatever reasons the players have developed to be the players they are in this moment could it, it could be from relative age effect like you mentioned it could be from muddy pitches and wide air it doesn't really matter they've emerged in this way and does that emergence that grouping together of all these different players itself create something that can work if they are relating to each other in a good way this is the, this is the important thing and we can obviously that's a pretty vague statement but that's the area of coaching i'm most interested in at this point is what is that 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 the way the players are communicating and interacting that can facilitate something to emerge from them not from directly down from the coach and the coach can highlight oh yeah that's maybe the job the coach then becomes the guy who's saying who's highlighting great things when it, when he sees them or when they see them when he or she sees them emerging and puts emphasis on them so yeah again it's this coming from the outside the material world rather than from the coach and i think yeah probably wilson Jonathan Wilson is more interested in, 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 in that idealistic from in-to-out dissemination of ideas, which I think is always in play. But I think we need to move to a more uh, a way of thinking about it that has more space for the creative energies of the, of the material forms of outside. Yeah, and I find this a really engaging and persuasive argument about the way that football tactics develop. I suppose where I might push back against you is in the sense that obviously football tactics have developed in Europe as well within a context of material conditions right and so part of maybe the problems of viewing things entirely and idealistically is that you overlook some of the things that have impacted so I've mentioned a couple of things there things like you know when a when a football player is born or whatever or the the environments that you, as you've talked about the environments the spaces within which footballers have have developed and there's obviously a lot of footballers who people will describe as street footballers because the spaces in which they developed their ideas not even ideas the ways of playing football have been shaped by the fact that you know i don't know they played in a street which had you know was at right angles a road at right angles so they can maybe cross from the right because they were there was only space on the right to cross right i guess the big question for me is i I love the idea of thinking about this, this like more creative materialist approach to to football tactics but you've already said yourself like the big question is can it work and there's maybe an argument to be made that a lot of the positional ideas that we talk about have emerged because they are the most functional way of winning in the at least in the form of the game that we have now Um, and so it could be the case that if we parachuted Fernando Denise into into European football yes it would be fun yes it would be creative but he would get walloped every week and I suppose that raises questions about like where are we getting the usefulness and, and I know that's a horrendously yeah. functional way of looking at football but that's the reality <laughs> we live in now right right yeah no it's interesting and I've thought about that myself if, if Denise right was like exactly like you say if you parachuted into the Premier League I would not be confident <laughs> that, that it would work right just to be clear right and well then it's interesting to think why I would be confident about that because Players in Europe and playing styles are now in this paradigm, right? So this it's almost like this is football. This is how you play it. There's that little allegory, isn't there, of the two little fish are swimming along in the morning and the big fish swims towards them 
and the big fish says to the two young fish, uh, morning boys, enjoy the water. And then the two little fish swim on and one says to the other, what's water? You know, you're in this reality, so immersed in it that you can't really see what it is. So absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying that the, and I'm also not saying that traditional football is bad. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. Right? I'm saying I, we need to do away with this hor- horribly restrictive style of play. It's the enemy, blah, blah, blah. I, I kind of exaggerate towards that in, in the Fernando uh, Denise um, article I wrote, but, you know, I'm taking a position there. Traditional play is not, I like it. It's cool. I like it. When it's done well, it's really good to watch. De Serbi's football is fantastic. I love it. Guardiola's football has been, been, been fantastic. But to think this is the end point of football evolution, I think is probably naive. And we can look at this in terms of complexity theory, right? In terms of systems theory. And that or something like AI, for example, machine learning. We're trying to find a more complex way, right, of, of understanding systems. And for me, the complexity of systems also involves this more atomistic, materialistic understanding of the emergence of creativity from the outside, from, from not from, from uh, out with the human at the moment I think the systems this paradigm system that we've built is mostly idealistic in terms of its and we use words like structure positional structure these are quite rigid ideas and if I think we look at think about it in terms of systems then it's going to be the more complex agile adaptable systems more organic systems that are going to be eventually become prevalent and yet look that transition could take a long time. And perhaps it's a transition that will be fought against by more dominant powers. Perhaps it will never be given life oxygen, right, to, to emerge. But I, I would believe that's a theoretical reason and argument to say that eventually more agile, adaptable, organic, flexible, complex systems approach would trump a positional rigid system. To be honest, I don't even mind about which one. I think it would be cool to see them play against each other. You know, that, that's what I'd love. I'd love to see, you know, Deserbi, Guardiola play against a great team of Denise, you know, and, and see those completely different styles go head to head. Because even in that dynamic, you will then get something else and you will emerge because it's the, the meeting of the differences. What seems to happen more now is that we get the same football against the same football. And that's obviously just a feedback loop and you're just going to continue uh, proliferating the same thing or versions of the same thing. I think you can make a proposed theoretical reason why it would be utile, right? Where it could be more effective at the game of football. And also, I think it can, you can give a reason why it could be more productive on a human level in terms of the enjoyment of players playing football. Mm. In terms of, you know, I'm a coach and, I, you know, I have to tell, I've coached positional football and it's quite strict. You have to tell players to stand there, you have to be there, you have to wait there, you have to wait there. Perhaps in another method, it is freer. Perhaps you're still strict in some areas, conduct, behavior, uh, the way you interact with your teammates. But perhaps in the football sense, it's more, it's more free. It's more free to play. Perhaps that's good psychologically, mentally, for footballers to be in this method. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's interesting hearing you talk about freedom because I've just released a video about Jack Grealish and people have very differing opinions on the usefulness and function of Jack Mm. Grealish at Manchester City. Having seen him playing in a free role at Aston Villa and then moving into this Manchester City role where he is not free. And I think the gut feeling of a lot of fans is Jack Grealish hasn't been as good. And I think what they're confusing there is I would rather watch Jack Grealish play a free role than I would watch him play a very successful functional role for for Guardiola. Yeah, and I think another interesting question is to ask what Jack Grealish likes. Hmm. Because Jack Grealish is the player and we want Jack Grealish to enjoy his time playing football. And and if he wins the the Premier League and I don't know what else and he plays this function and he... I'm sure he will get enjoyment from that. You know, playing for Man City can't be bad. It's going to be fun to go in every day. But it's important for the if you're that type, not all players are the same. Maybe Jack Grealish is the type of player who would prefer just to play how he want in, in a more free way, and he would enjoy his career more like that and be happier like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also very important. So I don't know. I'm not saying that um, that's the case. But I think there's probably been clearer examples of players who, certainly under Guardiola, didn't really like it. Ibrahimovic probably the most high profile. He had no time for this, <laughs> you know. He want, and is Ibrahimovic a good player? Seems to be a pretty good player to me. Is he successful? Seems to be pretty successful. So he had no time for this system of rules. He just thought, no, I'm a player. I, I have a way to play. I have a way interpreting football, appreciation of, of what's going on around me, and I want to be able to do mm. that with other guys too, who are of the similar mindset. And that's why, obviously, they split pretty uh, acrimoniously, right? It wasn't, 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 <laughs> wasn't pretty. I think Ibrahimovic calls him the philosopher, right, or something like that, in a sort of derogatory, sarcastic yeah. way, I think, something like that. I think it's worth mentioning that your interest in tactics is primarily as a coach, someone who is trying to both develop players and develop systems that can win and, and work. And I wonder whether or not what you're proposing here is is just that, that that football is essentially just a problem-solving exercise and the European tradition has gone down this route where the only people who can solve it are the, these great men who sit in their ivory towers and they think this is how you this is the pro- these are the problems that we need to solve and this is how we solve them and I think you're suggesting that actually it may be the case that the individuals within those systems can be involved in the problem solving as well, right? The players on the field are just as well positioned to be able to work out how to break down an opposition side as the the guy who's the coach. Yeah, and oftentimes a lot better uh, positioned because they're really good. <laughs> you know, they're, they're they're they are really good, and 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 this is and just because the attack, the pattern of play didn't look like what you had planned out the night before when you drew your little plan and made your PowerPoint, does that make it bad? Maybe you're actually in hindering the natural emergence of this team by imposing a type of structure on it. And I think that probably happens a lot. And, and you know, that can't be a good thing. Again, it's not to say that we just embrace chaos and just let players do what they do, whatever they want, because that won't work. Because some players will hold on to the ball too long. Some players are overly aggressive. Some play, And, you know, and we can say, oh, who's to say that? But, you know, you have to make some judgments when you're coaching. And these are important things. You may be saying, you say, look, you need to pass the ball more to your teammates. That was that your teammate was free. You, you can pass to him there instead of running against two players. So 
there's always going to be coaching going on. But what is this type of coaching uh, that we're doing? Are we coaching maybe more the the, the interactions of, between the players on a more, I hesitate, it's a vague term, the more human level, right? The emotional level. Or are we imposing these structural plans and diagrams and impositions on the players? And again, not to say you can't use them and they're not useful. They say, I use them. They are useful. But it's the degree to which that, that we're, these impositions are taking place. Because someone like Conte, someone like Zerbi, it seems almost total, right? Total football, right? <laughs> the clue's in the title. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's total. It's a finished system already. You players fit into the system. It's closed. Maybe that's a way, good way of thinking about it. Is it a closed system? Is it final already before you, you, you put it out? Guardiola, I don't think, is closed. He talks about progression through the first two thirds and then in the final third, you can have more freedom. Maybe that's him just giving me a little lip service, but his teams do evolve. I think you see more differences over Guardiola teams than you do over Conte teams, for example. I think that they do evolve. So maybe his system is a little bit uh, more open. And again, this is degree of imposition. So Guardiola system, fantastic, ingenious, brilliant, fant- uh, incredible. A little bit of openness, but you could be more open and have another version of football that has even less imposition of the structure and still, I think, could be effective and work mm. and, and, and in some interesting ways. Well, I didn't think that we would conclude this podcast by accepting that Carlo Ancelotti is the greatest coach to ever have lived, but I have very much, I very much enjoy, enjoyed yeah. the chat. Yeah, it's you. clear. It's, we couldn't see the wood for the trees. <laughs> it, was, it was clear. It was hidden in plain yeah. sight all along. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, the big fish comes along and says, enjoy the Carlo Ancelotti, and the, the little fishes say, what's yeah. Carlo Ancelotti? Yeah. That's why he's always just got that look on his face, <laughs> that he knows something that you yeah. don't. You know, that's why he's just raising his eyebrow. He just knows. Jamie, it's been a real pleasure. How can people catch what you're putting out? Uh, Twitter's the best place, at Sterling under slash J, um, Jamie Hamilton on Twitter, and you can uh, follow my work there. I'll be putting out a new article on some of these uh, ideas we've been talking about here trying to kind of consolidate them because I know I'm, I'm rambling and taking uh, lots of different words and putting them everywhere and trying to make them fit together. And I appreciate uh, you uh, giving me a space to, to do that, John. It's always fun talking to you about these things. Um, and I'll try and get them written down in an in, in a, in a article form at some point soon. And yeah, I'm coaching. Uh, I'm continuing to coach um, academy level in Scotland. And if you like my writing and, 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 and what I'm doing, um, then my uh, link to my Patreon is on 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 Twitter, and my, any support is much appreciated there. I love to write; I'd love to do it more, mm. uh, but it's always it's finding the time. Everyone's busy; mm. um, it's not always easy. So, yeah, Twitter is the best place to follow uh, what I'm up to. Yeah, and that's your Twitter handle is Sterling with an I. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that should be emphasised. It's not a monetary <laughs> focused account. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, John. Cheers. Mm-hmm.